Well, tonight, as we do on Good Friday every year, we reflect on the cross. And tonight we're going to do it by looking at a vision that the prophet Zechariah had, the Old Testament prophet Zechariah. And the title of the message is Sin Removed. Sin Removed. Zechariah was what we call a post-exilic prophet, meaning what happened was Nebuchadnezzar, the vicious ruler of the world, superpower Babylonians, had come and conquered Jerusalem, uh, destroyed the place, destroyed the temple, took the Jewish people into exile, into Babylon, and eventually, by a miraculous move of God, the Babylonians were conquered. After their enslavement, after a period of time uh, there, the, the per- and they were defeated, the Persian king Cyrus, around 540, 539, 538 B.C., began to allow the Jews to go home. It was a long trip, and they didn't know exactly what they were going to uh, see. Some of them had never even been there because they grew up in Babylon, and about 50,000 Jews returned to Jerusalem with Zerubbabel, the governor, and a fellow by the name of Joshua. Joshua was the high priest. Sadly, they came back to a destroyed land and a destroyed city. They began to set out to restore things. They set out to rebuild the temple, but they hit several obstacles, and the construction stopped. And you know how it is when you're doing one project and you, and you move to another, you kind of get lost in the project you originally started. And you know, 20 years passed by. The people of God got busy with rebuilding their own land, their own lives, their homes, their careers, their businesses. And I'm sure many of them said, like we tend to say, well, I'll get some things in order and then I'll get back to God. But time flies by, doesn't it? So God raised up prophets during this time, two notable, Zechariah and Haggai. Haggai, And they told the people of God it was time to rebuild the temple. And now there was no more procrastinating. Within four years, it was done. Now, Zechariah is an interesting fellow because not only is he a prophet, but he was also a priest. So the temple was dear to his heart, and the temple had great interest to him. And Zechariah had a series of visions from God, and tonight we're going to look at the third one. And it appears that this vision took place on what is known as the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. All year long, the, the priests would make animal sacrifices to the Lord, but the Day of Atonement was different. In the temple, there was a, a small room behind a veil, a very large curtain, and it was called the Most Holy Place or the Holy of Holies. This room had various different things in it. We don't have time to go into all that tonight, but perhaps most notable was the Ark of the Covenant, and this small room was, was likened to the throne room of God, 
to walk into this room would be known to the Jews as walking into the very presence of God. And the Old Testament law stated that the high priest, only the high priest, could enter into this small room one time per year on the Day of Atonement. And he would enter in carrying a sacrifice of blood to sacrifice for the sins of the people. Now, the Old Testament doesn't tell us much about this day, uh, but ancient Jewish writings tell us a a decent amount of some of the practices of which, again, we can't go into, into great detail, but I wanted to highlight a few of them. Since the high priest represented the people of God to God on the Day of Atonement, on Yom Kippur, he must be pure. So in order to keep the high priest pure, what they did was they quarantined him in the temple uh, for the week before. That week was a busy week. During that week, the high priest practiced all the ceremonies and sacrifices that he would be doing on the Day of Atonement, And the night before, we think we would just want to get a good night's sleep, but he didn't. The night before, he would stay up all night, and the other priests would minister to him. They would read the word of God to him. They would pray over him. They would get whatever it was that he needed to perform his function for the next day. Uh, There's a saying in the Old Testament, they strengthened him in God for all the work that he had before him. In the morning, the high priest would get up and or still be up and put on some special beautiful clothes, kingly priestly garments, and begin the day of sacrifices. Uh, During this day, there would be lots of bathings in order to keep him clean and pure before God. Sources tell us that he would make a sacrifice and then... He would take a bath, and then he would get dressed again. Throughout the day, many sources say he would take five baths, and approximately ten times he would wash his hands and his feet. All this so the high priest could be clean and pure before a holy God, as the high priest represented the people to God himself. Then the high priest would would change out of his kingly garments and put on white robes, symbolic of his purity before God. He would make a sacrifice and he would confess his own sins. He would make another sacrifice and he would confess the sins of the other priests. He would make another sacrifice and he would confess the sins of the people. Then he would go into the most holy place sprinkle blood on the Ark of the Covenant for the forgiveness of sins, come out and take another bath. Now, this is an abbreviated version of of what we think would be seen, but around 518 to 520 B.C., before Christ, God gives Zechariah a shocking vision of the unseen world. He he lets him really be sort of an outsider looking in to the throne room of God. And Zechariah chapter 3 verse 1 says, Then he, and this would be an angel that we encountered in chapter 1 and 2, Then he showed me, Joshua the high priest, 
standing before the angel of the Lord. So this is what Zechariah is seeing. And Satan standing at his right hand to oppose him. And so there is Satan, the accuser, there in this scene. So we have, we have, we have God, we have the angel of the Lord, we have the, Satan standing there, we have Joshua the high priest. Zechariah is watching all of this. Verse 2, And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. Yahweh rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Some of your versions say, is this not a burning stick plucked from the fire? And then verse 3 is most shocking of all. Now Joshua, remember the high priest, after all this bathing, after all this cleansing, after this week of, of purity... Now, Joshua was clothed with filthy garments. This is what Zechariah is seeing and was standing before the angel. So the people would have seen Joshua go in in these beautiful white garments and Zechariah sees what God sees. He, he sees the high priest Joshua standing there clothed in filthy garments, standing before the angel. Why, why is this so shocking? Uh, the word filthy is actually the word for human excrement. So we see a man standing in these beautiful priestly garments. We see a man standing in this white robe now. And God sees a man covered in human excrement. So here we are. We're, we're in this heavenly courtroom scene. And the angel of the Lord is there, a common figure we see in the Old Testament. And he is God's representative as judge. Interesting. Uh, the angel of the Lord in the, in the scripture seems different than God, but he speaks with God's authority. He is spoken to by God, but he also speaks as God. We know him as the Lord Jesus Christ. And he is, he is standing there, and, and he's there, and so is Satan. If you will, Satan is the prosecutor. And who's on trial? The high priest. And all of the people that he represents. Satan, the accuser, is the opponent of God and the people of God, and, and he knows the role of the high priest. And one of the things was he, he wore figuratively speaking, the names of the people over his heart. The high priest also wore a gold plate on the front of his turban that said, holy to the Lord. But was he holy to the Lord, clothed in excrement? Was he, was he holy to the Lord? Were the people holy to the Lord? Now there's Satan there, the accuser, no doubt, saying something like this. <laughs> Listen, um, if, if, if the high priest is impure... If the high priest is unacceptable, if he is not worthy to stand before God being clean, then how in the world can he be the mediator between God and man? How in the world can he represent these people to God clothed this way? Like it or not, there is validity to these accusations 
His accusation, how can these filthy people stand before a pure and holy God? I mean, after all, Satan might say, look at their most holy person, the high priest. He's vile and loathsome, covered in feces, disgusting and dirty. Now, this is so important for us to see the lesson that is here, and that shows us the the inability of laws, the inability of rituals, the inability of religion to make people clean before God. The inability of all of those things to cleanse people from their sins. This is the futility of religion. That the most religious man in the nation is unable to help himself. Is unable to make himself righteous in the eyes of God. And if Joshua the high priest is in trouble, so are all the people. So are you, and so am I. And it's more than unclean things that are done. It is the fact that we are all unclean people, unclean men, unclean women. Joshua stands before God. He is undone. He is covered with guilt and shame. And can't you hear the accuser? Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, need I say anything? Look for yourself. You see what stands before you. A man clothed in horror and guilt and shame. When Isaiah was in the presence of the Lord, he he said this, Isaiah 6, 5. So I said, woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. When the apostle Peter experienced the miraculous power of Jesus, he said this, Luke 5, 8, when it says, When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. So the problem is really clear, although the solution may be not as apparent just yet. How can a man or a woman who is unclean from God's point of view become clean, and be able to stand in God's presence. After, if the high priest, after all that self-cleansing, is unacceptable before God, what hope is there for anyone? What hope is there for you and for me? Remember, it's the standing before God that makes him look so impure and unclean. So tonight... We remember that we stand helpless before God. Yet the good news of the gospel is there is a way to be cleansed. There is a way to be made clean. Verse 2 gives us sort of a a clue, either, either before the accusations can be brought or during them, Satan, the prosecutor, is rebuked. 
Now, he might object. I mean, Leviticus 16 prescribed that on the Day of Atonement, the clean and holy garments of the high priest and Joshua the high priest is filthy. In verse 2, the angel of the Lord, again, also known as the Lord Jesus Christ, is called God himself. And notice what he says about the accused. He says, they are my chosen people. I chose them. And I pluck them from the fire. Now, scholars debate, what is the fire? Could, that have, could he be talking about when they were pulled out of Egypt earlier? Uh, when they were pulled out of Babylon? Was it the accusations against the high priest and the people of God? Or were they pulled from the judgment of God himself? Perhaps a better question is why? Why were they plucked from the fire? Because God loves his people. Doesn't matter when it was, but God loves his people. Verse 4, then he answered and spoke to those who stood before him. So the Lord speaking to angels saying, take away the filthy garments from him. And to him, he said, the angel of the Lord speaking to the high priest, Zechariah, watching all of this, see. Now, just stop there for a second. Put yourself in Zechariah's sandals. You're watching this scene. And he says, see. And I'm going to ask you right now to see the unseen. See with your soul. See with your spirit. Let God reveal what is going on to you. He will if you let him. Then he answered and spoke to those who stood before him, the Lord speaking to the angels, saying, See, take, uh, take away the filthy garments from him. Uh, and to him he said, the angel of the Lord to the high priest, See, I have removed your iniquity from you. Another version says, See, I have taken your, away your sin, and I will clothe you with rich robes. Many years before, about over 500 years before, Jesus will tell the story of the prodigal son, but I just get that feeling of this kind of the same thing, that this sleeping with the pig's son comes home and the father says, we're going to clothe him with beautiful clothing and we're going to celebrate. Verse 5, interesting, Zechariah speaks up. And I said, let them put a clean turban on his head. It's like he's telling the angels not to forget. So they put a clean turban on his head and they put the clothes on him and the angel of the Lord stood by. Interesting, in chapter 1, the Lord challenged their sacrifices saying to, to the people of God, essentially they're worthless in and of themselves. They're only effective when they are done with repentance and with faith. And here slowly, by the grace of God, the Lord takes away his sin. And gives him clean clothes. The clean clothes, symbolic of the righteousness of God. Once again, verse 4 tells us he uses the word iniquity, sin. It's interesting, it's singular. It's not sins, it's sin. It, it's, it's not just deeds, but it is the sinful condition of all men and women. And here the Lord is crystal clear. Only he can take away your sin 
and only he can give you and I his righteous garments. But something seems wrong here. It doesn't seem right here. I mean, how can a man who obviously is so guilty, he has committed such crimes against the kingdom, how could a man be let go so easily? I mean, the judge sees past the clean exterior. Everybody else sees this guy who's looking pretty good. But the judge, Zechariah, Satan, they all see what's really going on underneath the true condition. Interesting. Satan stood by, verse 1. Verse 5, the angel of the Lord stood by. So we're going to see not only does he get off, He's going to get the office of the high priest back. How is that possible? You know, if I didn't know any better, I would think that somebody paid off the judge. (laughs) And that's exactly what is going to happen. Verse 6, the Lord tells Joshua what is expected of his office. What is this? This is a recommissioning of him. Peter was recommissioned by the Lord after he deserted him. Maybe you are here tonight and you have deserted God, and tonight is the night of your recommissioning to the service of God. Then the angel of the Lord, verse 6, admonished Joshua, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, If you will walk in my ways, in other words, if you will live the life that God has for his people, and if you will keep my command, probably the duties of his calling as the high priest, then you shall also judge my house and likewise have charge of my courts. And then he says something amazing. I will give you places to walk among those who stand here. I will give you places to walk among the angelic beings and the angel of the Lord. At the end of verse 7 here, the Lord promises something incredible. Like He says, like the angels, you will be able to walk in my presence. And this points us to the coming Messiah, the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews 4 in the New Testament says this, Hebrews 4, 14 through 16, Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was at all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore, because of what Jesus has done for us, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. Let us walk into the presence of the King that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So how is this all possible for Joshua the high priest? For that we look ahead uh, to another Joshua. The name Joshua means the Lord is salvation. Many of you know this, but some of you don't, is that Jesus is the English translation of the Greek name for Joshua. In Hebrew, uh, Yeshua or Yeshua. 
So Jesus and Joshua are the same name. English pronunciations for the Hebrew and Greek name of our Lord. In verses 8 and 9, Zechariah looks ahead 550 years to the cross of Jesus Christ. And tonight we look back 2,000 years almost to the cross of Jesus Christ. He says, verse 8, Hear, O Joshua, the high priest, you and your companions who sit before you. That would be all the priests in the temple. For they are, and this is interesting, all the priests in the temple, he says, for they are a wondrous sign. Another version says, symbolic of things to come. For for behold, I am bringing forth, God says, I'm going to bring forth a future event. My servant, the branch, two old, well-known Old Testament terms for a messianic figure who will inaugurate the new age. We know him as the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 9, the beginning is a little difficult. He says, for behold, the the stone, we've talked about the stone in our studies in Matthew, that I have laid before Joshua, upon the stone are seven eyes. People debate what are the seven eyes, I don't know for sure, but, but perhaps it's the seven, the number of perfection. Perhaps God is saying, my eyes are on the branch. My eyes are on my servant. My eyes are on the angel of the Lord. Behold, I will engrave its inscription, says the Lord of hosts. And here it is. And I will remove the iniquity of that land in one day. One day. That's all it's going to take. You know, they called the Day of Atonement the day. But this day they are talking about the great and holy and clean high priest, Jesus Christ, will die on the cross. Here we have the good news of the gospel in one phrase. And I will remove the iniquity of that land in one day. In the New Testament, the book of Hebrews says over and over again, many times, that this sacrifice of Jesus was once for all. No more sacrifices needed. It was all done in one day. On our studies in the Gospel of Matthew, on Sundays, we are in... Jesus Christ, the great high priest last week. How different is he than Joshua, who is clothed in excrement? Remember the last week of preparation for the great high priest? He was quarantined. Jesus is not quarantined. He's in the temple teaching the word of the Lord. He's being challenged by the religious leaders. But he doesn't want to be away from people. He wants to be in the midst of people. The high priest was quarantined because when he was around people, he would become impure. Jesus wants to be around people because when he's around people and he touches them, they become pure. 
Remember the great high priest would have a, the high priest would have a all night vigil. Vigil. Jesus will have an all night vigil before the cross. But he will not be ministered to. He will not be comforted. As the high priest in Zechariah's day, Jesus will be abandoned. The Day of Atonement in the Old Testament was a day of of, of solemn ceremony. But this one day, this great day, the day of the cross, will be a day of lies and of torturous beatings. Jesus will be dressed as a king in mockery. They will whip him, and on his blood-soaked back they will put a robe. He will have a crown, but it will be a crown of thorns on his head. Perhaps most humiliating of all, he will be bathed, bathed in the spit of humanity as they spit at him, as they are torturing him, and as he carries his cross up the hill and as he is there on the cross. And you can bet when he hung on that cross, there was the accuser. And you can bet he was saying, how can you help these people? Look at them. Look at you. They're killing you. And this is what you do for them? What Zechariah had seen symbolically will happen on the cross of Jesus Christ. Our clean and pure high priest was clothed in the excrement of our sin. It happened on that day when Jesus died on the cross. But unlike the high priest in the temple who carried a a bowl of blood into God, Jesus Christ offered his own blood to God. On that day, Jesus wore the names of his people over his heart, clothed in the excrement of our sin, and yet pure before God. This is the only way a holy God could could take away our uncleanness by taking the uncleanness that was on us and putting it on Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he made him, God made Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. True faith Saving faith, the kind of faith that, that has all of your sins taken away and gets you to heaven, is seeing that there is nothing you can do yourself to make yourself clean. Again, it's, you're looking in a, we're looking at a comparative nature to God. There is nothing we can do to make ourselves acceptable to God. 
Did you notice through all of this, Joshua the high priest says absolutely nothing? Now, Jesus himself said nothing. But they said nothing for different reasons. Joshua the high priest said nothing because Satan was right. He was completely guilty. Jesus said nothing because it was his father's will that he would take on our sins. But here is where Satan was wrong about Joshua the high priest. Here is where Satan is wrong about you if you've put your trust in Jesus Christ or if you're willing to do it tonight. Oh, yes, you are guilty. I am guilty. But he is wrong. Though we may be guilty of sin, we are not condemned for our sin. Because he stood condemned in our place on the cross. Because Jesus Christ can remove our filthy garments of sin, only he can do that and replace them with clean garments of divine righteousness. In verse 10, we see the result for all who call upon Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. Zechariah writes, In that day, says the Lord of hosts, everyone will invite his neighbor under his vine and under his fig tree. And the picture there is one of peace, of provision and security. What great hope this is for those of us who desire to be clean before God. Because Jesus Christ took our uncleanness upon himself. You, my dear friends, can be clean. For those who turn to God, acknowledge their sin, put their trust in Jesus Christ instead of themselves, it's not just sins forgiven. It is sin removed. It is to be plucked from the fire of hell. It is to be plucked from the judgment of God because Jesus took the judgment for you. And there's more. Hebrews 10.19 says, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. You have every right to enter into the throne room of God because of the sacrifice of the blood of Jesus Christ. Those of you who have trusted Jesus and you can tonight, if you haven't yet, all you need to do is to be willing. Forget about the excrement. Just let Jesus take it away. Can't do it yourself. Doesn't matter. Jesus can. That's what matters. When you trust Jesus Christ, you have access to the throne room. You can stand before the king of the universe, forgiven and clean. Sin removed because of Jesus Christ, our great. High priest. Well, let's pray.